The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name is Simon Tishko, and on today's Isotopica, we're going to look at a slightly darker side, a slightly darker detour. Um, we're considering madness. It's not a documentary. It's a sound piece in and around the theme of madness. There's some fairly graphic descriptions of injecting drugs and drug addiction later on in the show so you know if you're squeamish perhaps not so much for you um personally i've had a few experiences of times when my mental health hasn't been all that well years and years ago it's coming up to 21 years ago in fact i ended up in a rehab les incurables for my drug use and drinking, which that's just all I ever did. And it's been a very long time since I've done that. And here I am practicing a relatively thriving artist. And yet still there's times last year I took to my bed for an extended period, just the kind of darkness creeps in. It's an interesting side of human nature and later in this Occasional series. I'm going to be talking with Dr. David Nutt, and he was once the drug, government drug czar who was famously sacked for suggesting that um, horse riding was statistically more dangerous than ecstasy. It's a very interesting, rich, and varied subject. So let's pin back our ears, shall we, and take another detour slightly to the darker side here on Isotopica.
<laughs> I used to hang around this park a little. And over there is the hotel where the guy dropped out of the window while I was sitting, you know? That's it. But we drank heavily, and one morning I woke up with the worst hangover I ever had, like a steel band around my head. I really felt terrible, and she was in the bathroom puking. We drank this very cheap wine, you know, the cheapest you could get. Many bottles, so... I'm sitting there almost dying. I'm sitting at the window trying to get some air. Just sitting there. And all of a sudden, a body comes down, a man, fully dressed, he's got a necktie on, neatly knotted. He seems to be going in slow motion, you know. A body doesn't fall very fast. Evidently, he got up on the roof and just jumped off. This building is not very tall. I mean, he probably crippled himself for life. I don't know. So. I saw him go by, and I said, well, I don't think I'm going crazy. I think that was really a body that went by. I know it was a body that went by. So I hollered to the bathroom. I said, hey, James, guess what? He said, yeah, what is it? I said, the strangest thing just happened. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a human body just dropped by my window. His head was on top and his feet were there. He was all lined up and he was dropping through the air. He dropped right past the window. He said, ah, oh, bullshit. I said, no, no, it really happened. I'm not making it up. He said, ah, oh, come on, you're trying to be funny. You're not funny. I said, I know I'm not funny. I said, look, I'll tell you what. Just come on out here. Come to the window and stick your head out the window and look down. She said, all right, here I come. She came, she stuck her head out the window and all I heard was, oh God almighty. She ran the bathroom and puked and puked and puked and I laid there, I sat there and I said, I told you so, baby, I told you so. And I went to the refrigerator, got a beer. I felt better, you know. I don't know why I felt better, maybe because I was right, you know. I opened my beer and I sat there and I drank it. I still didn't look out the window, you know, because I was feeling bad. This is where it happened, and that's all there is.
Would you need your dog? Have a dog. Would you need your cat? I don't think so. Well, that's what's in the tin. Yeah. That's in the tin. No, it's not. It's tuna. I eat tuna, yeah. But my doctor said, this was salmon, you know. That's three up range. Or maybe three oils. Very important. Already, or maybe I did. 
Hello, Hello. I don't know who's greeted this day. I couldn't tell you which. The doctor said, It's good to be home on the test. I'm not going to go to the house. I'm going to go to the house. I'm going to go to the house. I couldn't believe it. I flew off with him. I never knew him. Yeah. Not long before that. Yeah. And somebody else. Got to remember what he said. He doesn't go. We have to get from the other if you want to probably wouldn't drink it. If I want to probably drink it, try with that. See what? And what happens? I'm not telling you what kind of hell Lily is. She's had a stroke, a heart attack. She's his wife, six children. It's time for her. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to take her out of the shade. Which one? Can't tell you. To be like on the across. Yeah, we know. I'm not going to give aggressive to people. That is good. Or bad. I like Martin Cattle. Yeah. Read the book. The general is called. Yeah. Great man. Nine children. Good general. Doesn't tell you nine children. It was for somebody like that. You know what I mean? didn't want to. He's got nine children, and he's always written a book there too. Fantastic. a very long time since either of us have used drugs. That's correct. That's correct. And the thing is, certainly the way you and I use drugs, from what I've heard of your story and the way I use story, it was a form of madness, because all the evidence that I had around me was that this is a disastrous experiment and a disastrous course of things, yet I kept doing it again and again and again and again. Well, I don't know about a form of madness. I'd call it full-blown madness. Full-blown madness. Yeah, full-blown edge-of-the-cliff madness. And you've jumped off. And you've landed, and you're dead, and you're still walking around. Madness. That's mad. Yeah. One of the things um, 
I've heard you talk about his barbiturates. I remember them. Funny enough, I was talking to a guy today who prescribes uh, methadone. And uh, I, wanted, I wanted him to do something for me. And, uh, and I said, uh, oh, well, I'll only do it if you give me a script for Mandy's. And, uh, and he said, why are they? Hmm. And uh, a lot of the drugs that I consumed, they aren't available anymore because they were just too dangerous, they don't exist. It's almost like they've been erased from the memory of pharmacists and no one knows about them really. Mandy's, also known as Quaaludes, chemical, or the, the, the actual name, but it was methaquilone. That's kind of what I heard. But, or uh, methoquilone. Methoquilone, yeah. Methoquilone or methoquilone, depending where you get your accent from. Ludes in, uh, I think they're in those called quaaludes in the States, aren't they? Yeah. From methoquilone, probably. Yeah. Quaaludes, because they were marketed as quaaludes. Same crazy shit. I remember a badge with um, Goofy with his tongue hanging out, a great big mandy in his hand, because they had MX written on them, yeah. And he was going, Mandy's mate, you're Randy. I just remember driving down a road one night and uh, I hit eight car parked cars in a row. Uh, I think I was doing about sort of 10 miles an hour and I just swung from side to side. Crash, crash, and then over the other side, crash, and then crash, and then crash into another one, and then crash into another one. Uh, and I got about 100 yards and I thought, this is ridiculous, all these cars keep moving. And just got out and just looked behind and I wasn't horrified at the time, I just kind of thought, what a damn nuisance, look at that wreckage. And didn't give it another thought and just uh, left the car where it was, middle of the road, door open, just uh, walked off. Very stylish. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't my car anyway. So, <laughs> what could you do? What do you think you'd actually taken that night? That was on Mandrax, yeah. Yeah, no, that was on Mandrax, definitely. Uh, but they were kind of... Uh, they were kind of fun drugs. Mm. Uh, but uh, I don't mean barbiturates were fun drugs. They were... Uh, it's hard to put into words. It's... Uh, it's when the Mandrax ran out and you couldn't get them. And then... Uh, it's kind of a long story. All this stuff is always long stories because there's so many people involved. But... Uh, barbiturates were... Well, they weren't called barbiturates. They were called churnal. And uh, that was the main kind of drug. And Nemitol. And Nemitol, basically, they were just a bit weaker, but you could inject them. And churnal, you couldn't inject them, but we injected them anyway. And why weren't you supposed to inject churnal? You weren't supposed uh, because to. Because they weren't soluble. They weren't soluble in water. So they kind of. Uh, they'd form a goo, like a sort of uh, a thin paste. Uh, a bit like PVA glue or something like that. And you'd and, uh, inject that. And you'd inject that. And uh, the hit, the initial sort of rush or wave, was just phenomenal. It was, it was tremendous. It was, uh, it was just a beautiful thing. And, uh, 
because you knew that within seconds you were going to lose consciousness. It was like sort of a bit of train going into a tunnel, and you knew that the train was going to go into the tunnel and it was going to be completely black and everything would stop, and you couldn't stop it happening, but you had about a second or maybe half a second before that happened. And that half a second, it's the same, same as crack, crack's the same, it's the modern equivalent, it's the same thing, you just pick crack, you stay awake with, but it's, you know, that was the joy of journal, at least, you know, at least you got knocked out, you got unconscious, which was the aim of the thing, because you didn't have to think anymore, you didn't have to do anything, you just uh, were unconscious. It makes perfect sense. That's the strangest thing. It still makes sense to me when you describe that. It's not something I do know. No, I can't comprehend why on earth I'd want to be unconscious. Uh, in a perverted way, it's, it's a bit like uh, in a boxing match. That uh, It's a bit like being socked on the jaw. You know, so you've been hit with a sucker punch. And you know that... Oh no, my legs are going, I really don't, I really want to carry on this boxing match, but I've just been here, and the guy has done me, I know that I'm going to lose consciousness in a second, and I'm not going to be able to get up from the floor, and I'll be hearing the ref down the other end of the world going, one, two, and you know that you wouldn't get to three, you'd be just bombed out. But a similar sort of sensation of uh, like being a boxer, I suppose, in a way, because there's a kind of manic thrill about it, which was kind of, you know, it's the buzz. Drugs are all about the buzz, I think, you know. It's, uh, they always were and they always will be, I think. It's just the buzz. It's some crazy back to Adam and Eve stuff. It's with you. It's like, it's like the apple. God goes to Adam, don't touch that apple. And Adam thinks, why not? Now, when he's actually got the apple in his mouth and he's crunching it, it's all over. But the feeling he has, Adam has, when he's, when he's near that apple, his hand is just about to close over the apple and he's got this hot feeling inside. Oh my God, I shouldn't be doing this. The shit is gonna hit the fan, oh no. But I can't stop myself and grab, he grabs hold of the apple and whoom, it's in the gob. But it's all over then. The sensation is the millisecond or the half a second before you've actually taken the drug. And that's, that's the illusion of drugs though, because they're always better before you've taken them than they are once you've taken them. The sensation you have when you have the drug in your pocket, or the drug in your hand, the thrill of the hunt, you've got the hunt. I mean, you, you look, at, look at fox hunting, do you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's the thrill of the, the bang. When, you, when you've got the gun in your hand and you fire the gun, that's it. You know, once the animal's dead on the ground, that's not a buzz, you know, unless you're some kind of pervert, and then you kind of, oh yeah, animal's suffering. Unless you're a sadistic bastard, and then that is the thrill for you, but I think most people, it would just be, 
getting the gun, shooting it, the actual moment you fired the shot, because that's the life-defining zeitgeist, I think. There's some lovely mixed metaphors in there, and the, but the shooting, you, you ended up with shooting. And tell me a little about injecting drugs. How did you first start to inject drugs, and what did you inject when you started? I first started to inject drugs, uh, I wasn't sane, and I wasn't, uh, I don't know if I was, I don't know what the word is for, I was stoned, basically, I was stoned when I first injected drugs, I didn't, I wasn't walking on the road in Tesco's just, uh, what should I do now, I'll inject drugs, you know, it wasn't one of those feelings like that, I was in an atmosphere where it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, so I was probably in a squat, uh, there was probably other people around, uh, there was access to the equipment, uh, and I'd just seen someone do it and thought, oh that looks rather good, I think I'll uh, have a go. How did you do that? Show me how you did that. And. Yeah, just got the knee out and did the practical sort of side of it. But I also remember being in a real fuck it mode. I think you have to have the fuck it mode, you know. And uh, fuck it mode is a strange. Uh, it's where you just go fuck it. Hence the name fuck it. Hence the name fuck it mode. Yeah, when you know that it's not a good idea, but you're not thinking of it's a good idea or a bad idea. You're not weighing things up sensibly. You're just, you you know, you're caught up in on a train ride or something. You're leaning out the window of a train. You know, the wind's blowing in your face, and and it's all kind of, it's all kind of cool. You know what I mean? And. For instance, if you're leaning out of a train window, not that you can do it now, but you could at one time because train windows, you could pull them down and you could poke your head out. Uh, if you imagine you're going along about 70, 80 miles an hour in an old steam train express thing, you've got your head out the window and there's a bridge coming up. So the human reaction is to pull your head back in until you've gone past the bridge. I mean, there's about two foot of clearance, nothing's going to happen, but the fuck it mode is when you see the bridge, you've got your head out the window, it's coming towards you at a great speed, and your brain just goes, fuck it, what happens if you leave your head out? And, uh, and you do, you get hit by the bridge. So it's so injecting barbiturates is a bit like sort of hitting a brick wall at about 70 miles an hour. Just instant unconsciousness. And there's the thrill of not knowing where you're going to be next. Because a lot of it is something to do with, with boredom, or something to do with day-to-day uh, -day business of life is so 
flat. There's no adventure in life anymore. There's no, there's no adventure story. Your reality is, you are poor. You are homeless. You are hungry. You're skin. You are diseased with some sort of NSU or some sort of, <laughs> yeah, you're unwashed, uh, you feel like crap, so what do you do, you either carry on like that and you wake up the next day and it's the same story, it's Groundhog Day again, or you pick up a works, put some barbiturates in them and see if you can actually go tilt, go somewhere else, maybe, maybe it's a death wish, uh, but I think you, you, I, I reached the point where I really didn't care where I lived or died, because I felt that I knew about life, I had a very distorted view of life, because I hadn't really had a life. But then, um, but then, in a strange way, I wouldn't have the life I have now. Kind of uh, tried to end my life. Now, it may sound a bit confusing because I think if you jump off a tree with a rope round your neck, you are ending your life. If you jump in front of a tube train, a second before the tube train. Come so that you're actually hit by the train and you don't fall on the rails because apparently 8% of people jump in front of the train but they, they, they leave it too early so they actually land on the ground and the train runs over and, and uh, they lose a limb or something like that you know they don't actually kill themselves I was speaking to a train driver friend of mine recently he told me that interesting fact uh, but it's, it's not like suicide, because suicide is not the aim of the game. The aim of the game is the buzz. The aim of the game is to be lifted out of the barrenness of existence that you find yourself. The gulag of the soul. The, the just frozen wasteland that you are living in. And it's never-ending in some... Mebus spiraling, depressed depth. How long did you do that for? I did that until. I did it until I woke up one morning. And I woke up this morning. And I remember waking up and feeling something is strange this morning, and it, and it was a new feeling. It was it was it was quite a nice feeling. Uh, I can't really describe it. It's. Uh, I was expecting to wake up. Like I've just had a cup of cup of tea or something, you know that kind of oh, refreshed feeling. I woke up feeling like I'd just eaten some nettles, and 
my body was just in revolt. I just felt uh, something very odd or strange was was happening. My uh, all the receptors weren't weren't right. They weren't firing right. There was something odd. Uh, and I was lying on my side. I was probably naked and. I looked at the crook of my arm, and there was a there was a, a works, you know, a syringe in there, and it was in there, and it was stuck in. The needle was still there, and the needle was bent because it was still in my body. Uh, and then I reached across and pulled it out, uh, and the needle was bent on the syringe. And thinking, oh, I don't remember leaving that in. Uh, and as I rolled over to put it on the floor at the side of the mattress, something stabbed into me. And I reached underneath me, and there was another needle sticking in me. And I rolled over onto another, I don't know, syringe or a needle or a spike or whatever that was in the bed. So I pulled that out of me and put that on the floor. And then I went to get up, and there was another needle stuck out my ankle, and this looked wrong or something. The other two needles didn't look right, but the one in my ankle looked, uh, whoa, needle in the arm, that makes sense. Rolling over on a lead needle, yeah, I can understand there. I've had a hit and I've, I've gone to sleep and I've, my arm's gone down. I've left it in the bed, so when I roll over, I'm going to stick myself in it. But the one in my ankle was like, what on earth is that doing in my ankle? And I looked down and my ankle was just this angry red-blue colour. Uh, and I thought... You've been injecting in your ankles again, you naughty boy. Uh, and as I pulled it out, I just knew that that really does not look right, my ankle, because the flesh was all swollen. I mean, what, what happened is, is uh, when you inject, you're supposed to go in a vein. Yeah, because the needle, the spike goes, you know, the substance, the chemicals, they go into your vein and go whizzing round and, you know, your heart does a little, Whoa! you know, before they kind of reach the, reach, you know, the blood pumps the drug around your system sort of thing, yeah. Uh, if you're very stoned and you've woken up in the middle of the night in complete blackout, you don't know what you're doing. It's a bit like being dead drunk, you just don't know what you're doing, you know. A bit like these pictures, see, these videos of the uh, the guy who's been videotaped in the cell, drunk, swearing at all the policemen. The next morning, it's like, oh my God, that wasn't me. Oh, sorry, officer. And he's a nice, normal member of society. It's just, uh, but the night before, he's just completely drunk. He's, a, he's an animal. He's an idiot. Um, I'd woken up in complete blackout. Uh, and what I figure I must have done was tried to inject into a vein in my foot or in my ankle, uh, completely missed, uh, and and just ended up stabbing it into the bone, which sounds horrific. And uh, 
I can't remember doing it. Uh, but like I said, I woke up like that and uh, just pulled these needles out of me. And I, and I, I think for the first time I just looked around at where I was. I had a moment of clarity and I just kind of looked at my circumstance and uh, I think it was November. There was no heating. There was a blanket with graffiti on it over the window, which had a hole in it. Uh, it was very grim. Uh, and I just became aware that I didn't really want to be where I was. And, uh, some sort of life force kicked in and just went, well, get out of there, get out of here, Jim, get out of here. So I just got out of there. Yeah. I don't remember the next how I actually got out, you know, but uh, I kind of, yeah, I got out of there. And woke up in paradise about two months later. In South West London. No, I was in hospital bed in Oxford. <laughs> Which was paradise, you know. A hospital bed is paradise when you've been in a, you know, squat and uh, you know people around you looking after you and clean sheets and strange stuff like that. It felt like being reborn or something. Very beautiful. No, I'm still very fond of Oxford. I feel I feel like went through some sort of spiritual death. But uh, and I'm very fortunate. It was a spiritual death. That uh, it was. And it really was the the edge of life. Uh, and many of the people I were using, you know, were the, pe the co-conspirators in this journey into darkness, uh, they were dead. The, that, that was the, the grim reality was, you know, going around from squat to squat and there'd be just fewer people than there was the week before. Where's John? Oh, he's dead, man. Where's Kathy? She's dead, man. Where's Bill? He's dead, man. Where's Charlie? Oh, he's dead, man. Uh, and it was so matter of course. And, uh, And I didn't feel sadness. I just felt a bit angry with them for dying, really. I thought, greedy bastards, you could have shared your fucking drugs, you know. Why did you, you know, fuck, what about me? Give me some of your drugs. And also a feeling that they've left me. Which was bloody horrendous. That feeling of emptiness, the feeling of, uh, November on your own. Your friends have left. And they haven't left. They've 
departed the planet. And their game was over. And I was still there, and it was a shitty game, and I didn't want to be playing it, but I was a pawn. The gods of the world were pulling the strings. It was a dark time as well, you know, it was, uh, it was a time when the GLC was still going and there was, uh, and they were selling off the squats to people, you just went down the council office with 50 quid, gave it to the guy behind the counter and he'd give you a tenancy, but of course, you know, if you're a junkie, you're not going to spend 50 quid on a tenancy, don't be silly, <laughs> so, but it was, you know, the way of the world, there was a lot of corruption, bribery, unions were full of shit, government full of shit, policemen just wanted to beat the shit out of you, the neighbours just wanted you to go, the tribe of lost souls that I was part of, uh, we were like zombies, we only came out at night. But there was a lot of love among the people, I think, you know, there was a lot of, uh, I had a lot of empathy for moles at that time. I felt like a mole, a blind, underground being, but I knew that I wasn't alone, there were these other seekers after the truth out there. And there was always some fabulous music going on. You know, there's always a bit of Leonard Cohen or Janis Joplin to keep you going through the dark times. Uh, it's some amazing sex, but I can't remember any of it. <laughs> so, uh, it was grim, but there's grimmer times. You know, um, I think the Vietnam War was still going on, I think it was coming to the end, but that was just horrendous, you know, people just getting napalmed and just shot, you know, feet blown off, mines, landmines, cluster bombs, all that crap going on in the world, and uh, yeah, eat burgers, kill gooks, that was the... You know, that was the world, that was what was going on with the world. And in England, we, we were just mad, like parochial little tribal gangs, you know. You're either, you've either, you know, with the haves or with the have-nots. And the have-nots were, you was in a ship, mate. Unless you was a worker, then you was part of the glorious proletariat. But they were all, yeah, off the reds on drink all the time. Why do you think there were so many pubs going, you know? Bloody alcohol was cheap. The whole social life was based on alcohol and getting pissed. And uh, if you weren't part of that, you weren't part of nothing. You didn't exist. Buses were crap. There'd be one bus an hour or something. No, the social order had just completely broken down in parts of it.
Isotopica here in Resonance 104.4 FM with me, your resident fine artist on Isotopica, Simon Tishko. If you feel any of the issues that we've detoured around today on Isotopica maybe affect you, for instance, drug addiction, then I'd suggest you went to www.ukna.org. That's the official website for Narcotics Anonymous in the UK. It's a very good, very useful, and um, very powerful website. Check it out. And if you're interested in further details of today's episode and previous episodes and perhaps future episodes and even our wider art practice, then you can find that on our website, which is www.theculture.net. Isotopica is also available on iTunes and we'll be back same time, same place, same magnificently diverse sonic arts radio station, Resonance 104.4 FM. This is me, Simon Tishko, checking out for another week. See you later. service announcement on behalf of some of the staff at Isotopica and the Flight Project. One of our young ladies is looking for a room to rent. What with the so-called free market and the generally nasty nature of our present government and many years of Thatcher economic policies is very difficult to do, as I'm sure you're aware. But if anyone out there actually has a potential room share for a rather lovely artist practitioner 
and all-round nice person, then you can contact me through the Isotopica website being www.theculture.net. That's a room share for a young woman who works on this radio show. Thank you. This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.